Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Thomas E. Stevens has been a published historical writer for more than 25 years. Currently, he puts that experience to work for Kentucky Humanities as the historian and writer for our radio segment we call Think History. These one minute and 30 second history lessons uh, in Kentucky history can be heard on WEKU Public Radio at Eastern Kentucky University and WKMS at Murray State University and throughout the region's reached by those radio stations. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill, glad to be here. We hear um, or at least see and uh, know your words uh, quite well every uh, day on uh, Think History segments, but uh, we thought it might be a good idea to talk to the the main uh, person responsible for all of that. Uh, Tom, tell me a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into history and uh, your other writing career that you've uh, started some time ago. Well, I um, I was blessed with uh, three great grandparents when I was a child, and um, they talked to me about the 1800s, and I think that was pretty much it. I was uh, I was hooked from that moment, and that's a long time ago now. Um, I more or less uh, approached history that way. I did not get a degree in it. Uh, my degrees are in uh, in telecommunications and uh, in teaching. Uh, but I've been a history columnist at uh, uh, newspapers and magazines and uh, uh, been doing that quite a long time. Uh, I've got three books under my belt and I've got a few more planned. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Kentucky and uh, Murray State. Tell me about uh, the books you've uh, published, and then we'll also talk about the ones that you would like to publish. Well, um, the first one was uh, called First Cats. Uh, The idea was um, I was uh, kind of a fan of Hal Mummy during uh, his time at Kentucky, uh, just because of the excitement uh, that he brought to football. Uh, And I I bought a, um, um, a media guide. And I noticed that there was precious little about uh, the beginnings of football and basketball. Uh, you know, when you don't have much about Kentucky basketball in the media guide, uh, it seemed to me that that was a niche for me. And uh, I did about three years of research on that. And I did the firsts of the program. Uh, the first uh, year of football, there were two actual firsts of football for UK. Uh, the first cheerleading squad, uh, you know, all kinds of of things like that. And uh, it uh, it was very successful for me and uh, uh, did a lot of uh, book fairs and things. And uh, it sold very well. I think I sold out in eight weeks and uh, it's now in its third printing. And I I believe uh, we're on about 12 years now since it came out. Are sports books uh, still popular Um, at this year's Kentucky Book Festival? I know we have a number of those, and there are always, it seems like, a, a spate of, of, of books coming out about sports uh, in Kentucky. Uh, what did you find uh, when, uh, why, why, is it, why did it sell so well? 
Well, I, I, I'm going to go in a different direction than, than most people expect because I, I, uh, I really did the book because I thought it would sell well. You know, that, that was, that, that's what you want as an author. Um, but I noticed at the book fairs that the fans, the, the people decked out in blue and white, for example, coming down the, the row, uh, they very seldom were interested in the book. It was people that knew them. You know, dad would love this book, things like that. That's what drove sales. And it, it was really surprising to me. I did a lot of sales uh, uh, of people going into Rupp Arena. Uh, there was a, a, a little bookstore um, at, you know, at the venue and uh, I out there before games. And, and that's the way it always was. Fans were interested in getting to their seats. But uh, the people that knew the fans, they, they wanted to buy this book. Uh, I know that um, just this year alone, Kyle Macy's working on a book uh, that won't be out until uh, next year. Uh, Kyle mm -hmm. Macy, um, most people, and sometimes we have to uh, tell uh, a few people who they are. Kyle Macy, the <laughs> basketball player. Uh, Alan Sullivan um, will be at the book uh, festival. Uh, he has a book. Uh, he um, was a sports writer, I believe. Is that is that correct, Tom? Do you know Alan Sullivan? I, I really don't know. Yeah, I think think a sports writer. So there there uh, there's always a, a few here and there that continue to be uh, purchased. And uh, did you write any other sports books, or do you have any interest uh, in writing others? That that was the idea. It was more of a history standpoint. You know, the the famous first first All Americans, all of that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I had a, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but, um, you know, my, my primary focus is Kentucky and uh, Kentucky history and, uh, as opposed to sports, uh, and, you know, I tried to approach it from a historical standpoint for the program. Uh, the next one I did was called, um, true bluegrass stories. And, uh, it's, I was a columnist for Kentucky monthly magazine, uh, for, I don't know, about 15, 16 years. And, um, uh, it's a collection of columns about the bluegrass region. And uh, we, we had a lot of luck with that. It still sells well. And I believe it's about eight years old now. Tell me a little bit about what uh, was included in that. And I'm sure that maybe some of those have found their way into our Think History segments. Well, they have. Um, every once in a while, I'll, it'll just kind of pop into my head. That that's a That would be a good one. Um, uh, let's see, John J. Crittenden, uh, he was uh, uh, governor, senator. Uh, he was a, um, uh, Henry Clay was his mentor. Uh, he tried to avert the Civil War uh, with his Crittenden compromise. And um, he ended up with uh, sons as generals in both armies. So uh, the Brothers War was, was literal for him. And, uh, um, you know, he, he died soon after the war began. Uh, we got the, um, uh, the first, well, when Louisville began to overtake Lexington, Lexington had a, a huge head start on Louisville in terms of growth and, and economic power. And um, Louisville began to overtake Kentucky or um, Lexington after um, the building of the, uh, of the Portland Canal in uh, uh, just south of the city. And when that happened, Lexington uh, began one of the earliest railroads in, in uh, the United States to try to compete with Louisville. And uh, I tell the story of that, which is which a, a very interesting one as well. 
Well, there's a, a lot. Um, I guess you've never really had um, a lack of stories to tell or to write about. Um, a lot of people sometimes uh, question whether or not we would ever run out of segments for, for Think History. And I guess maybe in decades uh, in the future, there might be that possibility, but it seems like there are always interesting stories that can be found. Well, I think that's true. And, you know, when, uh, when, when we, you know, first started this, uh, and I realized that I, I think uh, it's upwards of 250 or 60 a year uh, that, you know, that you've got to come up with. Uh, it is daunting. You know, you, you're sort of looking at the blank page and, uh, and you're worried. But, uh, um, you know, I've never run short of stories. Uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many people were Kentuckians. Um, for example, they've got... Um, uh, Transylvania University is often called the, the mother of governors because Kentucky was like a funnel. And so the people from even New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, Virginia, the, the Carolinas uh, would have to come to Kentucky only one of two ways, down the river or uh, through the Cumberland Gap. And so there's so many of those people as they moved west, uh, lived here or born here. And then as they proliferated out west of here, uh, you know, their lives and careers were intertwined with the states. And so Transylvania is often called the mother of governors because of that. And uh, it's it's just astounding how many people uh, that you find. Uh, I did a, a book on the Civil War called Civil War Game Changers uh, last year or so. And uh, and that comes from uh, just the the incredible number of people who were Kentuckians that Lincoln relied on to win the war. I think it. Uh, you make a, an excellent point there. And I think what kids today, uh, students today, uh, aren't uh, really looking at history the same way that uh, maybe a lot of us were taught uh, either in right. high school or, or college. Um, in many ways, I regret that, but I, I hope they are. And classrooms might be able to use uh, the segments you write and the uh, radio segments uh, that are on now in two public stations to uh, do a little bit of teaching in the classroom. And I'll give you a, an example of sometimes uh, I think it even, well, it's certainly without uh, any qualms about saying how surprised I am or how uh, interested I am in some of the stories that I've never heard of, and that happens very, very often. Today, driving to the town that you live in, Louisville, uh, on, uh, the, uh, on 64, I don't know if I've ever seen this before, but a segment that you did on Thomas Edison, being a native, uh, being, being a, a person who lived in Louisville, uh, the Thomas Alva Edison who we learned about as we were small children in grade school, I guess, or it could have been one of those little blue biographies. And uh, when I learned or was reminded of Thomas Edison's citizenry in Louisville by you and by the segment that you uh, wrote uh, that I read, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that house. Now today, I didn't have time, but his boyhood home, uh, is something that I think would be interesting to see. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, and I, 
put you on the spot here and ask you, have you ever been to, to Mr. Edison's home? Absolutely. There are <laughs> quantity of, uh, of uh, Edison light bulbs there. Um, I, uh, one of the things that I remember uh, growing up is a segment that was on the local news in which a, uh, an Edison light bulb, which, which, you know, it needs to be said that they were not designed to, to go out ever. You know, they were built to last, literally. And um, uh, so there was no planned obsolescence built in. And there was a, uh, a light bulb that burned continuously. There was no switch uh, in a, uh, a Louisville firehouse uh, for 70, 80 years. And uh, they finally took it, took it out. And uh, I think it found its way into uh, the Edison house. And so they have a wonderful display of those. Uh, some of the old uh, cylinder uh, recording devices, um, recording mediums, uh, lots of interesting things. And, you know, he was um, he was a kid, uh, you know, and a young man who uh, lived the school of hard knocks. But he was a tinkerer and that always got him in trouble. Uh, and it got him in trouble in Louisville, but he was right on the verge of, um, of some, you know, major inventions when he was here. Uh, but he got fired from uh, his telegraph job and went to Boston and almost immediately became famous. Very Tell us uh, the, the background, the interesting part of the story that I learned from you on why he was fired. Yes, he, um, he, earned a lot of money as a telegrapher. That was a very a highly specialized job. Uh, but he was still borrowing money from friends and, and he was kind of mysterious because he would stay in his room all the time. Well, he, uh, in the middle of the night, he kind of got into, um, uh, the tele, uh, telegraph office and siphoned off some, uh, some acid, which in those days, it was just beakers of acid with a wire in them. And they were used as batteries uh, to operate the telegraphs. Well, he wanted some of that power uh, for one of his inventions and he ended up breaking the beaker and it uh, dripped, this acid dripped on his uh, boss's desk uh, on the first floor. So it went through the ceiling and uh, the next morning he was summarily fired and the, the, um, uh, the boss said, uh, Mr. Edison, we want telegraphers, not experimenters. <laughs> well, that's one interesting story, and there are so many. And by the way, let me just uh, tell uh, listeners that if they don't hear the segments on WEKU and, and WKMS, uh, they're on our website, uh, kyhumanities.org. You just have to scroll down on the homepage and, and look for Think History, and all of them are, are, are there, um, and they're, they're short, and they're wonderful to, uh, to read and to listen to. Tom, is it difficult for you to tell a Kentucky history lesson in 165 words, which I'm just going to guess is about an average of what you write for us? Uh, well, at first I found it, uh, I was about 10 words too long usually. And then uh, I'm an old editor, so usually you can find a way to, uh, to take words out without losing meaning. So that's, that's kind of what I do. Uh, the odd part about it is, is that uh, as I've gone, you know, in, into my second year here, um, uh, I found that very often when I get finished, I'm very close to 165 words. So I'm slowly getting better at it. But, but it, it can be a challenge. And the other thing that I found is 
there are a lot of people who are high achievers and uh, and you really have to leave some things out and you have to 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 truly focus on on one particular aspect of their lives. Uh, tell us uh, another uh, couple of uh, interesting stories. For example, I, I also learned uh, from you about Walker's Line, L-I-N-E, Walker's Line, and the significance, uh, uh, the, the monumental significance that that one little uh, error and then uh, correction um, has in Kentucky history. And frankly, I heard a um, someone give a lecture uh, on the shape of states, and they were talking about the shape of uh, Kentucky uh, and the way it fits uh, closely to the surrounding uh, border states, the contiguous states. But if uh, people know, uh, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, uh, tell us about that little uh, portion of uh, Kentucky and Tennessee called Walker's Line. Well, um, the line goes back to 1665. Uh, the king, by royal decree, established uh, the border of, uh, of North Carolina and Virginia. And in those days, it was considered that the line would go from Atlantic to Pacific so that, so that the continent would be striped, so to speak. And, you know, a New York colony all the way to uh, what today would be Washington State or Oregon and, uh, and so on. And so that North Carolina-Virginia line, as the states um, began being admitted, was going to carry across. And um, Dr. Thomas Walker and uh, his crew were supposed to survey on that 3630 line. And uh, it was so densely, um, uh, you know, woods, there was so much woods and it was so difficult to get through that his surveyors, uh, it speculated that they had a lot of trouble. Well, you know, and you say, well, they, they did have a compass and so they should have been able to survey it properly, but they didn't. And uh, uh, there's also a theory that uh, mineral deposits in the area may have, have messed them up, but the, the line is a mess. And it, um, it kind of zigzags uh, across uh, from east to west. And, uh, but there is one spot where it, there's a V, which they called a jog. Um, and as the story goes, a lot of people who thought they were living in Kentucky, when the line came through well north of their farms, they were upset. And 30 families had a, enough political pull to uh, petition the, uh, the General Assembly and the governor uh, to be included in Kentucky. And there's an old uh, story, which is probably not true, that that involved um, a bourbon barrel uh, around a particular blackjack oak tree. Um, however, uh, that V, which incorporates those 30 farms, uh, is today just past the Kentucky-Tennessee line on I-75, and that place name is known as Blackjack. Is there a uh, historical marker there? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've seen that near the, uh, what you do is you stop at a, um, um, it's the first Kentucky rest stop on I-75 after you um, leave Tennessee, and that it's there, and you can you can see that area, and uh, and Blackjack is right there on the map, and you you can also see the the V on the map. 
I'm talking to uh, Tom Stevens, who is a published historical writer uh, for more than 25 years. He's also the, the principal uh, writer, the chief um, uh, penman of our <laughs> Think History segments on WEKU and WKMS. And we'll have more with Tom right after we pause for the wonderful folks at Spalding University to tell us about their writing school. Spalding University's affordable, nationally distinguished low residency MFA in writing offers excellent instruction in a compassionate, supportive community. Focus on your own area of concentration, explore across genres, and examine the interrelatedness of the arts. During one-on-one -on -one independent study, you'll write prolifically and receive expert feedback from your faculty mentor, developing the discipline to keep writing for life. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Tom, uh, you, you mentioned that um, some of what we all know is folklore or not able to be substantiated by, by fact. Uh, how much, um, how many stories do you hear or do your research that you uh, might be skeptical of or you have to go to two or three sources or sometimes you find that they're complete folly and uh, not true at all. Well, that uh, blackjack jog story is, is a perfect example. Um, uh, a gentleman about 100 years ago now, it might be 1915, between 1915 and 20, wrote um, uh, an article about that. And uh, I believe it appeared in a book as well. Uh, and he got in a lot of trouble because it wasn't true, but most of it. And he just... Um, he created characters and they spoke about what was happening. And, uh, and none of that was true. But if you, uh, if you go through the historical record, history is a fact-based business. And so when you go through, you can find the true story, which I find equally fascinating uh, with, with the made-up version. And so, uh, you know, that, that's a good example of what you have to do to wade through. Um, I, I just think that in most cases, the truth is much more interesting than 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 a made up story that that rings a bit true. That somebody might find is funny or has some uh, different ending or whatever. But I, I happen to agree, and we always uh, certainly uh, in in history or in journalism, we want to be sure that we're telling the truth and right we're using facts. Uh, out of all the stories, uh, well, gosh, after uh, twenty five years of this. Uh, I know you have some favorites, and I don't know whether just to uh, uh, try to get you to recite some other Think History segments that maybe uh, fascinating you, uh, fascinated you, or, or quite honestly, uh, ones that you might have been surprised uh, by yourself. Are, are there any that you can recall and uh, tell our listeners uh, that, that they might do a little bit more research on and, uh, and think about something interesting uh, that they might want to pursue? Well, there are, I just, I love a good story. And um, uh, it, it's amazing how often you'll run across it. I mean, I, I used to work for the Kentucky Historical Society way, way back when. And uh, um, 
among the people that are often talked about is a man named Garrett A. Morgan, uh, who is an African-American inventor, uh, invented lots of things. Uh, but um, one of the things he invented was the gas mask. And he invented it at, at precisely the moment that it was needed by American forces in World War I. And uh, the Germans were using mustard gas. And, and these guys, these Americans and the, and the allies would uh, be poisoned by that gas. And literally the, uh, the flesh, they would lose their flesh, sort of like uh, um, uh, severe acid reflux, I guess you would say. And, uh, you know, they were ruined for life, even if, if they did live, you know. And so uh, he was able to... Um, to invent that mask and, and it was brought into production to save hundreds of thousands of Americans from, from, you know, death or, or, um, other problems for the rest of their life. And that's a, that's an incredible story. I mean, you could say, well, he was an African-American inventor and that's interesting, but I find the gas mask and world war one, the contribution that, that he made to the war effort is, is astounding. Uh, there's lots of things like that. Um, Jenny Benedict, um, she started a, a little kitchen in her parents' backyard. You know, that doesn't sound like that's going to amount to much, but he, she had a, an enormous restaurant down on 4th Street in Louisville. And, um, you know, she was kind of a legend uh, in her day and invented what, and lots of people who live outside of Louisville may not know this, um, um, this fair, but it's called Benedictine Sandwiches. It's kind of like little tea sandwiches. Uh, but it's made from um, cream cheese and uh, um, and cucumber juice. <laughs> but it was uh, the mainstay in Louisville, and uh, and she was locally famous for that. Uh, there's a woman named Pearl Lowe Boyd, who I came across. Uh, it's a terrific story. She she grew up in Western Kentucky. Um, her son found uh, reams and reams of papers that she had written and, and uh, he didn't even know what it was, but it was a local newspaper column in uh, Florida that she had written from the 1930s until her death in the mid 1960s, all about Western Kentucky. It's, it's just a wonderful uh, treasure of stories uh, that, uh, you know, they say that, uh, you know, uh, Kentucky never re really leaves Kentuckians. And, and that was certainly true in her case. And so, uh, you know, we all benefit from, from the people who, who loved Kentucky. Tom, let me ask you this. Um, do you find it uh, as the, the writer uh, of these pieces as challenging to find stories in Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky as you do in the metropolitan areas of the urban areas of Louisville, Lexington? Uh, not really. It, it, sometimes they can be more uh, obscure. Sometimes they can be a little bit harder to, um, uh, to source. But uh, usually you can find some some pretty interesting stories. Lots of people who grew up in uh, in eastern Kentucky uh, left, but they they um, accomplished great things. And, uh, you know, I find that fascinating. Uh, lots of actors uh, from western Kentucky, for example. Um, and, um, you know, I, you never know where, where you're going to find a good story. Uh, again, the Kentucky seems to me, uh, although I've lived in a few other states uh, earlier in my uh, life and, and career also, um, and I would have to say that um, 
maybe the state of Texas is as steeped in, in historical fact and tradition as I have learned and found uh, in Kentucky, but I've also, well, I would also have to give some uh, credit to Tennessee, uh, where I also uh, spent some time. So the question is, do you think all states have as many, could, could we do a think history in, in Tennessee and come up with as many uh, interesting stories as you have written over the years? Uh, well, Texas is, uh, is a lot younger, uh, but it's a lot larger. Um, and so I, I think, I think I'll go, my answer will be, I will go back to, uh, this funnel situation where so many people, so many families, uh, as they moved West, they had to come to Kentucky. And so, uh, and, and that's makes us unique in that way. Um, you know, when you, when you realize that Kit Carson, who, you know, famous trailblazer, who was the um, inspiration for Carson City, Nevada, which is the capital of that state, and Presley O'Bannon, who gave uh, the Marine Corps the halls of Tripoli and and the uh, officer sword, uh, Stephen F. Austin, who who is a uh, a founder of Texas, um, Jim Bowie, also in Texas, who died at the Alamo. They were all Kentuckians, and yeah. so uh, the James were, Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> if I can right. throw them in. Brothers, yeah, um, and so. Um, uh, the, the flag that was used at the Battle of San Jacinto was, uh, was made by uh, local ladies and presented to um, a Northern Kentucky regiment that fought uh, for the battle or for uh, Texas independence. Uh, you know, that's preserved today in museums. The two, um, uh, that was the only flag, American flag that flew over that battle was, was a Kentucky flag. And so it, it's, it really is astounding. And, uh, it, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Tom, it also interests me um, when you uh, write about the educational uh, levels that so many Kentuckians, it seems like, reached at that time. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because there is often reference to a certain uh, governor or uh, congressperson or a state office holder who has been to well, Transylvania Law School comes up uh, quite a bit, and right. uh, uh, but there are others too. So talk about uh, what you've learned about the education that was available to some, but certainly not available to all uh, back um, uh, many uh, centuries ago. Well, I think that uh, then as now, uh, education is, uh, is uh, often... Um, um, what would you say? Uh, kids are reluctant to embrace it. And uh, if, if you seek out education, you can find it in, in a lot of cases. Uh, the thing that comes to my mind is uh, the Barberville uh, Debating Society. That's uh, uh, one that I did. And um, it was just a, a group of young men who lived in Barberville uh, uh, around where Union College is today, and uh, they just got together and uh, practiced um, public speaking. And they would uh, be given an assignment, you know, a, pre a previous week, they'd come back the next week, they'd have a little debate, and everybody would vote to see who won. Well, that produced a Supreme Court uh, justice, several governors, a president of a university. Uh, and so, um, you know, 
that willingness to, to inquire and learn how to do things really served them well. Of course, our universities have produced, you know, lots of our leaders, um, but, you know, these people were very hungry and they didn't live as long as us. And so they were in a hurry. And uh, it, it is amazing how many accomplishments a lot of these people packed into short lives. Tom, what would you say to the education community today about the importance of history, but the importance of Kentucky history? Well, it's certainly a neglected subject. You know, there's, um, I don't believe, I may be wrong, I, I don't believe there is a, uh, a chair or um, there's an endowed chair of Kentucky history anywhere in the state, maybe Georgetown, but uh, I don't believe that it, uh, it, it, is, it is elsewhere. The universities um, um, seem to want to study other, other things and places when um, Kentucky history is worthwhile and uh, a lot could be learned from it. Is it something that you will uh, continue to do as uh, your profession and as your hobby? Do you have another book in mind? Your, your uh, last book um, that we didn't talk a lot about, but uh, Kentucky Land of Tomorrow, or your latest book, Civil War Game Changers, Kentucky and Kentuckians in America's Bloodiest Conflict. And you told me as we finish up here, just very briefly, uh, that book really emphasizes the, the, the number of people uh, from Kentucky that I'm sure fought, uh, as we know, our history uh, on both sides of uh, the conflict. Well, it really does. Um, and um, I think it's, uh, it's true. Well, it really split the state and, uh, and, you know, there was a star on both flags. Um, uh, Kentucky was admitted and, and stayed in the Union, but was also admitted into the Confederacy. But uh, Kentuckians uh, remained loyal to the Union. Uh, but, you know, it was it was a battleground. What was going on uh, here during the Civil War? Um, you know, it was fought on our on our soil. And Kentuckians had a great difficulty with that because. Uh, they lost their rights uh, to a, uh, a swift jur jury trial, for example, to, uh, um, to be able to get out of jail, to be able to get counsel. That's uh, the suspension of habeas corpus. Um, but Lincoln had so many Kentuckians who, who helped him along the way. Um, and um, um, that's, those are always interesting stories. Um, John Hunt Morgan you know, tried to uh, hold the state for, uh, for the Confederacy. Um, Kentucky was declared neutral at the beginning of the war. Uh, and then uh, that neutrality was broken by uh, Confederates. And so uh, Ulysses S. Grant was able to take uh, Western Kentucky. And, uh, and really the Union held Kentucky within the, uh, within the Union, but um, we had all of these um, um, John Hunt Morgans and, and people who were going around and, uh, and sort of harassing Union troops. Um, but Lincoln's um, strategy, uh, um, his, um, his helpers in Kentucky, the Speed brothers, for example, uh, James Speed, who became his, uh, uh, his later um, um, attorney general, uh, him and his brother, Joshua, uh, they helped keep Kentucky loyal. Uh, and, and at that early period. 
So it's it's an astounding story, and Lincoln could not have uh, won the war without the help of so many Kentuckians. Tom Stevens, um, as we said at the beginning of our podcast, uh, published historical writer uh, for uh, more than 25 years, uh, has written uh, several books. Um, he was a columnist and wrote for uh, Kentucky Monthly Magazine. He is the, uh, I'm going to say, the chief correspondent, the chief writer um, uh, of our Think History segments that appear on WEKU and WKMS uh, radio and also on our website at kyhumanities.org. Uh, Tom, thanks for being with us. Uh, any any parting words about uh, the historical nature of what you do and um, do you ever get tired of it? No, not at all. I do I do uh, approximately one a day and uh, and you know I, I just eat it up. I, I really enjoy it and, and like I said, it's a lot of fun. Tom Stevens, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.